everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Cattle Pros Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Scott. You know, walk into just about any coffee shop or cafe or feed store in small town America, and pretty soon you're going to hear a conversation like this. You know, you just can't find good help these days. No one wants to work in this country anymore. Well, listen, I'd be the very first to admit that it has gotten really tough to find employees, especially in agriculture. And has work ethic changed a little bit in this country over the past few years? Unfortunately, I'm afraid it has. But I refuse to believe that no one wants to work anymore because it's just not true. Take a look around. I see businesses and other industries that are hiring people every day. They seem to find the people that they need to run their businesses, so why can't we? What is it about agriculture and farming and ranching that makes hiring such a struggle? Maybe a different way to ask that question is, what can we do in our own operations, in our own industry, to make ourselves more attractive to potential employees? Well, I know that's a huge question, and it's going to take some big answers. And so to help us out with that, I'm bringing on a pro in this area. Shortly, we'll welcome to the Cattle Pros Podcast, Mr. Chris Licurdo. Now, in addition to owning multiple small businesses of his own, Chris is an expert in the coaching field. He works with personal and business clients alike, helping them tackle tough questions like this. But he's going to give you some insights to it today for free. Now, in addition to his coaching business, Chris also hosts his own very successful podcast called The Chris Licurdo Show. And because you're listening today... Chris is going to offer you, the Cattle Pros audience, a very special gift. I want you to jump over to this website, chrislicurdo.com forward slash cattle pros. That's chrislicurdo spelled L-O-C-U-R-T-O dot com forward slash cattle pros. And he's going to give you his free ebook called Why Your Meetings Suck. <laughs> Does that give you a little insight as to where this interview is going today? Yeah, probably so. You know, the old saying goes like this. When you point one finger at someone else, you point three back at yourselves. And today, we're going to take a pretty hard look at what we're doing as owners and operators and employers in agriculture that's maybe a turnoff to employees. We're going to ask ourselves some tough questions like, what can we do better? How can we change? Where do we need to grow? And Chris is going to help us get there. This is a really important episode, guys, and I want to challenge all of you to have a pen, pencil, paper, notebook, take some notes on this, and go back and listen to this again. We have a true opportunity for growth. This is a huge area where we can make improvement, and I think this could be one of the most powerful episodes of Cattle Pros we've ever done. I'm really, really excited and thrilled and honored to welcome to today's episode Mr. Chris Licurdo. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome you to the Cattle Pros Podcast and certainly honored to have a very, very special guest with us today. I'm extremely pumped up for this interview with Mr. Chris Licurdo from Nashville, Tennessee. Chris, welcome to the Cattle Pros Podcast. Brother Jake, it's good to be on, man. It's been a while, so it's good to talk with you. It's good to be on the show. Absolutely. And and tickled to introduce you to a, a new audience of people. Now, we've got a lot of ground to cover today, and Chris, I'd like to just jump right into it. And let's start with the topic of company and workplace culture. Now, before we start this, look, you and I, I think, would both agree and acknowledge that the pandemic, it has certainly created some problems with labor and labor shortages. 
And we're not denying that, but let's kind of back up pre COVID era, if we will. And let's talk about even some of the labor uh, challenges that we all faced in business, especially in agriculture, even then. Now, what I have a hard time, Chris, wrapping my head around is the idea that no one wants to work. Um, I see you and your business, you're hiring people, you're growing, you're getting stuff done. I see other people and other businesses getting stuff done. Um, So I've got to kind of ask ourselves, do we need to look in the mirror here in agriculture and say, maybe what is it that we need to do and we need to change to make ourselves a little more attractive to, um, to potential employees. And I think one way we can do that is through this idea of a better, healthier workplace culture. But man, we've got to hang some meat on those bones. Can you just start out by, by helping describe to us and tell us a little bit, what is workplace culture? Yeah. Uh, for me, when I look at culture, uh, I define culture as actions and attitudes. Okay. The actions and attitudes that you see in your team, that you see in your leadership, that you see in yourself, that defines your culture. So if you want a culture of customer service, then you have to create that culture. You have to teach it. You have to push it, force it sometimes. You have to recognize it. You have to attack it when it's not there. These are all the things that we talk about in in building a great culture. If you look into your culture and what you see is unhappy people, miserable people, people mm-hmm. complaining, uh, you know, people who are running for the door uh, before the day is over, then there's, there's, these are the things that we are not only potentially fostering, but definitely allowing inside of our business. And it's not uncommon for us to see them and grumble about them, but not do anything about them. So for us, you have to be very, very pro, not reactive, proactive on creating the culture that you want. Now, uh, I worked ranches as a kid. Uh, I, I, and my grandfather was a, a large rancher. Um, I understand a lot of, you know, culture when it comes to the ranch. I understand a lot of times there's, there's family uh, family can be great. Family can be a struggle. Uh, a lot of times we might have that person who, um, you know, heads up the, the, the team that is just a, Hey, we just get outside. We go work. We just go do the thing. There's all different aspects that we can see uh, that when it comes to ranching, right. When it comes to uh, agriculture, I should say, those are all things that can be, either enhanced or overcome, depending upon which direction we need to go. The key is not, oh, well, this is the way it is, and we just always do it this way. The key is what's going to be the thing that gets us to a place that people want to be a part of our culture. Well, Chris, I've already got you know people that I don't like working on my team. They're not that great. Okay. Well, is it because the culture is set up in a way that you're not attracting people who do want to work there? So that is our goal is to, yes, recognize that there probably are some situations right now that we're struggling with, but how do we overcome it and create the type of culture that people want to come be a part of? Well, Chris, I'm imagining our audience listening right now, and I would say that you probably touched on some pain points with a lot of people. Totally. Um, (laughs) With some of those things that you just described, and you really pretty accurately, I think, um, 
did describe a lot of situations in a lot of particularly family businesses, but just the agriculture in general. And, you know, something that I think uh, you would agree, you know, having some experience working in agriculture and our audience would agree, but we're pretty practical, down to earth, common sense people. So at an application level, from your own uh, business's standpoint, from your own personal experience and being intentional, like you said, with developing a culture, can you practically describe to us maybe in your own business, what a good healthy culture looks like in a day-to-day sense? Yeah, so for us, now we're different than most businesses. We have a teaching environment. So when I started this business uh, nine years ago, uh, I think, I made it a point that I've always been a teacher. God, that's, that's just a gift that God has given me. Um, I probably would have asked for singing, but that's what he gave me. <laughs> uh, teaching is what he gave me. Uh, nobody wants to hear me sing. Uh, so for me, I've always been a teacher, but I wanted to make sure that inside of my culture, I wasn't the only teacher, right? I wanted to make sure that people knew that this is a place you don't come and try and prove yourself by not asking questions and, you know, sticking in your corner and, and, you know, getting your identity from the tasks you do. Instead, you want to grow. You want to learn. You want to become better, right? So that is a big piece for me is that I'm constantly teaching and, and not teaching, by the way, a lot of us grew up uh, getting taught during business. And, hey, that's not how you do that. You do it this way. Hey, you're doing that wrong. Do it like this. Hey, that's all messed up. Redo that. You know, that's, that's the way a lot of us were taught when we were younger. Uh, instead, for us here, we're constantly taxing the collective intelligence, asking people for their input, asking them, you know, what do they need help with? Um, when they come with solutions, if it's not a completed solution, as far as we see, we, instead of just telling them the, the solution, we ask them questions that sets up their brain to think through how do we solve this? So for us, one of the most important things is that we are a teaching environment. Um, we are always focused on the client. Now for us, we are not, profit is not our number one motivating factor. Uh, it's our number three motivating factor. God is our number one motivating factor. Helping people change their lives or change their business is our number two motivating factor. Profit number three. Now that, that does impact us on what we can do because we're not dropping our heads down and going to make, you know, a ton of money. We're, we're focusing on God first. For us, having a great culture, even if you can't make God a big part of your culture, for us, it's a huge piece um, for, because when you're focusing on making God the most important thing in your life, then you tend to do the same thing in helping other people. You want to help those people have a different experience. You want to help those people um, take on our products and services in a different way. So for us, making God number one is super important on how our people treat each other, how they treat the internal client, how they treat the external client. Helping people to change lives. In other words, for us, that's our way of serving people, right? That's, That's what our business is built around. So whether it was delivering something from an agricultural sense, instead of just delivering a great agricultural product, how are you affecting the person who's Mm -hmm. getting the agricultural product, right? Mm -hmm. So helping them to have the greatest experience with our products and services is a huge piece. It's not just a, 
sell the widget, it's gone, move on to the next widget. On top of that, we really focus on two of the top issues, the, the top three issues we see for every business. Now, I've, I've worked with everything. I've worked with you know, small businesses, big businesses. I've worked with many different you know, uh, agricultural businesses, whether they're families or not. I've worked with pet grooming. It doesn't matter. The top three things we see, number one is always a lack of high levels of quality communication. The number two issue is a lack of accountability. And number three tends to be lack of quality culture. So if we can make sure that we are tackling those three things inside of this business, then we create the kind of culture that we want. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it does to me. And if it doesn't to the audience, rewind it and listen to it again, because there's a lot of information coming to you from Chris here. And I want to just back up because you put so much into that and, and talk about a couple of things. I like that um, your culture seems to stem from a place of purpose first. You talked mm-hmm. about God helping people, profit being third on that list. But when everyone clearly in your company understands the purpose for why you guys are in business day to day. I would think Chris, that helps with decision-making with dealing with clients and customers and all those things. And I love the one, two, three, you just gave us of lack of communication, lack of accountability, lack of quality culture. You know, that's a, I think a pretty big page out of the playbook on how to get to a good, healthy place, you know, within your company or with your team. Um, Chris, one thing that you said that I'd like you to maybe explain it or, or say it a little differently. I love the, the phrase that you said, taxing the collective intelligence. What do you mean when you say that? So when I was, when I was in my 20s, I worked for uh, a company called E-Trade. Most people have probably seen their commercials on the Super Bowl. And we were, we were a small company at the time. Uh, we hadn't gone public yet. And that's where I got my first leadership role. I was the assistant customer service supervisor. I wasn't even the customer service supervisor. (laughs) I was the assistant customer supervisor. And so this is my first leadership role. Uh, I think I was 20 at the time, maybe 21. I don't know. Uh, I'd been working since I was 14. Like I said, you know, I'd, I'd worked ranches, restaurants, all kinds of stuff as a kid. And now I'm in this leadership role and I started doing, and, and at the point before I got the leadership role, I'm, I, I'm a liked person in this yeah. business. Yeah. You know, I've got friends, people, you know, everything's great. I get the leadership role and I start doing the things that I had been taught on how to lead people, which essentially consisted of telling people what to do. And it did not take long. I, I, I noticed the light in people's eyes that they had while they were around me was not there anymore. <laughs> it began to And fade. I'm talking about, yeah, I'm talking about within a couple of months. And oh. I started realizing, and I, my personality style, I'm a very amiable, loyal, steady type of person. Um, you know, I'm not this big dominant, you know, driving jerk, you know, of a person. But I noticed I was doing what I thought was right. And within a very short period of time, I recognized that's, I'm not winning here. This isn't helping. I'm not winning anybody over to my side. I must not be leading them well. And I started thinking through, well, did I like being led that way? Well, of course I did not. 
And so I started a process. I didn't call it taxing the collective intelligence then. It didn't come until later on. But I started thinking to myself, okay, if I'm the only smart person in the room, then nobody else is needed. Mm. So I must not be the only smart person in the room. God obviously has given everybody else intelligence. God's put them in places. These are smart people. I should start asking them questions and asking them for, instead of telling them what to do, what if I started asking them what they thought about how things should get done and, and did they have any ideas? And, and I started just gaining perspective mm-hmm. right now, perspective, just, it, it really only means point of view. But for here, what we talk about is quality perspective is when you get multiple points of view, when you're looking at things from every possible angle, then you have quality perspective. And so even if I knew the answer, what I came to understand is, is that when I started treating people with dignity and asking them questions and asking them for feedback and asking them for input and pushback, then what tended to happen is, is that they took ownership. Mm -hmm. They took responsibility. They jumped in. They felt a part of the process. And even if I knew the answer it's okay. I started helping by asking questions of getting them to the answer that I already knew. And a great thing started to happen. They would come up with stuff that I didn't know. Mm. And so when I thought I knew, well, this is the right answer, all of a sudden they'd give me a spin on it and I'd go, there it is. Okay. I didn't think about it that way. I didn't even see it that way. And so I began that process of leading people by gaining quality perspective and what I call taxing the collective intelligence. We have a group of people. Now, this is not decision by consensus. So, you know, some people will go there immediately. It became a process of going, let me get as much input from you as I possibly can. And then I'm going to go make a decision. So you can make the best decision, in fact. So I can make the best. I might not make the decision using the information that you gave me, but at least I got it. Mm -hmm. And now I know that I have the best information that I can have at the time. I'm going to go make quality decisions. But if I can make decisions based on you coming up with the answer, even though I already knew the answer, then you're now feeling like you're being treated with dignity. Like I care about you because I obviously do. I took the time and you feel like you have a part in it. And so you end up taking ownership in that process. And that's what I'm really looking for. I'm looking for people who have buy-in and who take ownership because when you do, this is now a bigger purpose than it was, you know, before we started this process. Before we started the process, you may have shown up, your purpose may have been a paycheck. Now it's a bigger piece. It's something bigger. I certainly like the fact that you said it gives the team dignity to be included and to be inside the circle, so to speak, when decisions are being made and and to have the opportunity to voice their opinion. I think that gives all of us on a team a sense of value and appreciation. And I love the term buy-in that you use because the, the, the great people I've worked around in my life uh, that I've enjoyed the most is it's when I have buy-in to the mission and the purpose and the cause of what it is that we're doing. And Chris, I think I've read this and I'm sure you, you have too. tell me if this is correct, but our, our youngest generation of employees who are coming out now, um, um, people that are younger than my generation, I'm 45, but I think a, a purpose and a mission would rank at the very top of their list as order of importance of things that they want in a job. Is that correct? It, let me, it is so correct. 
you know, guys like you and I, we were raised with, with both, hey, you got to learn how to put food on the table, but also, you know, find purpose in what you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the generation before us, and especially the generation before that was get the food on the table. You know, that's, that is your identity. That is your purpose. It's your purpose as a worker. It's your purpose as a family man, right? Get, get food on the table. Well, this generation that's coming up, they care less about money and they care about feeling good about what they're doing. Now, I just got off an interview with uh, another show where we were talking about how entrepreneurs, one of the things I see all the time is this, this struggle that entrepreneurs have where they're like, what do you mean you need a pat on the back? Your pat on the back is the paycheck I gave you. Now just go do your job. <laughs> You know, this, yeah. this concept of like, I, I'm giving you a, I'm giving you money. You shouldn't need anything else. Go that do your be job. Be, that should be enough. Right. And listen, every single entrepreneur has experienced that and, and walked through that, that thought. Well, for a lot of us that are older, you know, I'm, I'm, I turned 51 this year. And so for a lot of us that are older, it can be tougher for us to recognize that, that the younger generation really wants more purpose than money. They want the money, but they are, they're much happier with feeling like they're doing something that's better to them than just making a paycheck. Because in their minds, they can just quit and go somewhere else and make money. They're looking for the thing that they want to be a part of that's bigger than themselves. So Chris, you're talking to an audience right now that probably got up before the sun this morning. Uh, they're probably already covered up with mud and dirt and grease. They got calluses <laughs> on their hands. And uh, as they're listening to this, they're working, doing something as we speak. To those that might hear what we're saying, and it comes across initially as a little touchy-feely to them, I want you to address the question, is this company culture, putting a good culture in place in your business, is that something just to pump up the troops to lift the spirits, to help team morale, or is this something that can actually help the bottom line of the business? Yeah, so it's so funny. Literally, as you were saying, they've already got dirt on. I licked my thumb and I was wiping the dirt off of my property, (laughs) off of my pants from feeding the goats this morning. So uh, I get that. I understand that, right? It does sound touchy-feely, especially for the person who has not experienced that. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. here's the struggle, and this is the tough part. A lot of us were raised in a way of, there doesn't need to be touchy-feely, go get that at home, come and just bust your butt, you know, come get it done. I know, I, that's how I was raised. But God has been showing me something for many decades now. Work is incredibly important to God, right? He wants us to produce. He wants us to create. But what's most important to God? People, community, treating each other well, right? You can see, I'm quite certain a large quantity of the lives are believers. If you're not, this is still great information that I'm sharing. When you look at the way that, that Jesus pointed out how people were handling specifically the Pharisees with their tithes, yes, you're doing this, you're doing the task, but you're missing the weightier pieces of what is important 
taking care of people, the orphans, the widows, right? God's heart is for taking care of people. Now, with that being said, do I think that there's a little bit too much touchy-feely uh, with you know, some of the younger generation today? Yes, I do. I think that there's a little bit too much. We've moved in a direction that I think is a little too much. But with great teaching, people can see the importance of a balance, of enjoying what they're doing, um, having a greater purpose, and also having a great appreciation for busting their butt, right? There's still a lot of people out there, even in this younger generation, there's a lot that want to go work hard, that want to be uh, you know, out there in, with their hands in the dirt, with their feet in the dirt, doing something um, that is outside and is not sitting behind a desk, right? But they also want to have purpose. They want to be able to look at the end of the day and go, I made a difference in somebody's life somehow. If we translate that into being touchy-feely, then we're missing the point. We're missing the point that that person is wanting to feel good personally, personally about, ha- about making a difference in another human being's life. So if we just look at that and go, that's ridiculous, I'm not doing it, then we're going to get stuck with the same thing day in, day out, right? We're going to have the same culture. The culture is we don't care about you. Come here, bust your butt. We'll give you a paycheck. That's how much we care. Go home. We'll see you in the morning. Yeah. And, and I think you can find that pretty easily in agriculture. And I'm not beating up on agriculture. I know it sounds like that a little right. bit, but I think we have a big opportunity. And that's how I look at it, an opportunity to really grow in this area. And that's why I'm, I'm wanting to discuss this so much today. And I agree with what you say, Chris. I think those people are out there that want to get after it and, and enjoy the lifestyle that we live here and the work that they get to do in agriculture. But the fact of the matter is, everybody's looking for some help right now. And there are a ton of opportunities, I think, if you are an employee that's looking for work and you don't have to, to, to come into a place that you don't think you're going to be treated well or that doesn't have a good culture put in place. And so that's why I'm trying to shine a spotlight on this today is, is again, kind of give us an idea of how we can grow and, and, and make ourselves a little more attractive to people. That being said, I mean, again, to the skeptic, Chris, realistically, a lot of businesses that talk about culture, that put culture in place, tend to be a more traditional, if I can use that word, type of business. An eight to five business hours type of business. Maybe it all happens inside of a building or an office. I want to ask you, Chris, realistically, in agriculture, in ranching specifically, where livestock, you know, around the clock have to have care 24 7 365 is culture really something that we can put in place and implement here so uh, i'm going to hit this from a, a a personal aspect um we do an event here you've been through it called next level life mm-hmm. where we walk through the personal side of stuff uh for people helping them to um you know sometimes people have great lives and they just want to make better decisions all the way down to people who've been through just the most traumatic things and they want, they're stuck in life and they want to, you know, get unstuck. We have people from all walks of life that come through next level life. I love it for me. And again, somebody who, uh, you know, 
worked a lot of actor as a kid. I love it when we get folks that are coming from more rural areas uh, because there tends to be, when you look in their, their youth, there tends to be consistency, right? It, there's not a whole lot of difficulty, bad situations, troubles. Not everybody, but there tends to be a, well, this chunk of time was just consistent. We got up, we worked, we did our thing. That was mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Every single person who comes through, every single person, whether they've worked agriculture, they've worked, no, I, let, let me not say every single person, a large percentage of people that come through. When I ask them the question, and especially if I'm talking to somebody who worked in, in agriculture, would you like to have spent time, personal one-on-one time with your dad or your mom? The answer is always, oh yeah, yeah. What was your time like? Well, I mean, it's, you know, he was always busy or she was always busy. It was just, you, you always work. You always, you always just doing the, the work. You just get out there. You got to do the thing, right? You got to, you got to, you got to feed, you got to farm, you got to do whatever. But that never changes the desire of the child inside to have a more intimate relationship with a parent. Does that make sense? Oh, it's powerful. Absolutely. So think of, take that. And just for everybody who's listening, like I say, we've all been there. I think those of us that are older, we've probably worked for a lot more of those gruffier people, you know, in agriculture when we were younger. But it didn't change the fact that we wanted to spend more time with that person and on a more intimate level. Just to get to know them, to, to understand why they're doing what they're doing, to learn how they got to where they are and, and to be treated like they actually care about us, right? That I'm not just somebody. I worked for... I worked a, a Morgan farm, a, a horse farm. Uh, I think I was like 16 years old. And I just remember this guy. I was a number for him. <laughs> That's all I was. It was just, you know, I just showed up and did the thing. And if I didn't do it well enough, I sucked. And I just need to go home, <laughs> right? You know, and I was just a number. But I also remember the guy who treated me like I was a son, yeah. you know, who loved on me and cared for me. That's the guy I've always wanted to come back to. And that's the guy I wanted to be. Yeah. Right. So can we create culture when we're working as hard as we are, you know, agriculture always needs attention. Can we create? Yes, absolutely. You definitely can. It takes intentionality. It takes you be proactive to spend time. Listen, you're going to go out and do the tasks you're going to do anyways. Right. How do you approach it? How do you talk about it? You know, what do you do? Every morning, my wife and I head out and we feed animals. Every single morning, there's not a morning. It's so funny because every now and then, you know, she'll say, it's time to do chores. And I'm like, is it really chores? We love it. We get out, we have fun. We talk to the animals. We're joking with each other. We get done. We move on with the day, right? The difference is, is that if you have the chore mentality, then guess what? It's a chore. Mm. If you recognize that you are stepping out into God's green earth, you are not sitting behind the desk. You are not in the rat race traffic. You know, you're not listening to car horns and breathing smog. Then maybe it's not a chore after all. And maybe if you adjust the mindset, then you can also relate to your workers in a different way. Does all that make sense? 
If you have the chore mentality, then it will be a chore. That is great. I've never heard it put yeah. like that, but that is great, great stuff. I love the way that you, that you worded that. Yeah, it makes total sense. After hearing all this, and I think it's starting to soak into some people now, but what if you're a listener, Chris, and you're sitting here and you hear all this and your shoulders have slumped and your head went down a little bit and mm. you think to yourself, we've been doing this for a long time. And according to what Chris and Jake are talking about here, I think we have absolutely, totally, royally screwed up the culture in our business, in our farm, in our family operation. Is it too late to change? I mean, if you've been at it, beating your head against the wall, doing it the same way for 20 years, can you really trade in the, the old for the new? Uh, absolutely. Uh, one, I, I, I do believe there's, it doesn't matter if I believe it or not, God's a God of, redeem, of redemption, right? It doesn't matter where I am. I can always change, right? It's the same thing when it comes to me as an individual. I can always redeem the time that I've lost. It's a matter of being intentional and being proactive. Every single one of us who deep down inside says, I wish I spent more time with dad. I wish I spent more time with mom on a personal, intimate level. That doesn't go away. We know it's there. We know that we wish it happened. We know that there's a really good chance that that parent's never going to come back around and go, hey, let's go fishing every day from now on and, you know, change and be that person. That's a possibility. But it doesn't mean that we can't recognize that we desired that and we can become that. You know, we can change that in us. Where, yep, man, I've been doing this for 20 years and I have been just a stoic person and a difficult person to to be around and I've treated people like they were numbers and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? What if I start caring? What if I start treating them with dignity? What if I start asking them about themselves? What if I start showing them and teaching them and guiding them and directing them and helping them to be better? What if I set them up to leave my place and go do their own someday? What if I make them so great at doing what they're doing that there's probably no way they're staying, right? Now, some people hear that and they go, man, you are nuts. No, listen to me. I love what John Maxwell said, she's uh, probably 30 years ago now. Would you rather pour your money into a team member and training them and they leave or not pour money into training them and they stay? Ooh, right? It goes back to that mindset. Yeah. So if I will make people great, and they stay for a while or, you know, a good amount of time and then eventually leave. I got a better person during the time that they were there. But if I don't make them better, then they stay exactly the way that they were. <laughs> it may stay longer than you want. Exactly. Okay. So I love this conversation on culture. As we put it into place, though, I think it's probably important that we have like-minded people who want to be part of a good culture. And so let's shift topics just a little bit and talk about a hiring process, unfortunately, a firing process too, but a hiring process that gets the right people on board uh, to, to help you build and grow your culture. So one of my favorite books of all time, Jim Collins, Good to Great. I'm sure you've read it. But he talks right off the bat in that book about getting the right people on the bus and getting them in the right seats. And if you haven't read that book, read it. That'll make sense to you. But as we begin to grow and implement a new healthy culture, and we want to bring in the right people who aren't only just qualified for the job that we have to do, but they're a good fit 
for the culture that we have. That has to take on a whole new importance and a whole new level of priority for us, right, Chris? It, what we tend to do, and it's not just in agriculture, but it definitely is in agriculture, but in so many businesses, we have a tendency to put a warm body seat, right? Mm-hmm. We need somebody to do the task. We need somebody to do the job, get somebody in to do the job. And then three months later, we're like, I don't even like this person, mm. right? So you have to start. This is a great way. If you want a great culture, you have to sit down and define what the great culture is that you want. What is important to you? What matters to you, right? What are those things you want to see? What are the actions and attitudes you want to see in the very team members that are operating your business on a daily basis? If you can do this first, then you can interview people to see if they fit the culture. Now, for us, we have a very long interview process. Uh, and, you know, good to great made a great impact on me in my younger years of leadership of recognizing it's not a matter of having good people on your team. It's a matter of making sure they're in the right seats, right? Mm-hmm. It's making sure that they fit. Well, for us, we take it to this cultural level where we have this very long interview process that starts with what we call the cultural fit interview. Now, the person doesn't know this. I mean, unless they're listening to our show, which hopefully they are, and then that's great. But we're literally having this very first conversation to see if they fit the culture. Do they take care of people? Do they uh, solve problems? Are they, you know, for us, we're able to hire believers because everything here is my intellectual property and it's based on God's word. So we're able to go that direction. Do they, are they believers? Are they, you know, all of these things that we want to see in our culture, um, we're able to interview that in that very first call. If they don't fit, they don't get to call number two, period. Because no matter how much skill and talent they have, if I put them in the seat and they don't fit our culture, then I will spend months trying to beat out bad culture and beat our culture into them. And there's a really good chance it's just going to fail in the long run. I think that's interesting, Chris, that your very first interview has nothing to do really with the task or what skills or qualifications. It's actually about the culture and the fit Mm -hmm. in the culture. So that tells me a lot about how important the culture is there and how important it is for you to maintain it and preserve it and protect it. I'm sure it's, it's been very difficult to, to build and put in place and probably growing pains. And we should expect those growing pains too. But once you're over the hump, so to speak, I assume it's safe to say you have to work just as hard to maintain it as you did to create it. I I will tell you going the direction that I'm suggesting, uh, you may lose more people, but you'll get quality people. So for us, one of the things that we, we don't get to do three interviews in a hire. You know, a lot of people are very happy to have three interviews and, and put a body in the seat. We don't do that. We will hire, we will interview until we get the right person. And sometimes you can't interview everything out, right? So for us, our, our interview process, we tell people it could be three to five months if we put somebody in the seat. And the reason why is because we're not going to waste time having to replace you after three months. So we want to make sure we're getting the right person. But 
because of our standards in our culture, we also hold people accountable to our culture. So if we have expectations in our culture that you treat people well, whether it's the internal client or the external client, and you're not doing it, we're going to hold you accountable. If we have expectations to the results in your job and you're not getting there, we're going to hold you accountable. So the crazy thing is, is it can have a tendency to flush out those who aren't willing to make it. But my gosh, the people who do are rock stars and they stay for a long time and they really help you build your business. So I know that we have at least one listener, Chris, who's sitting here and hearing you say that you've at times taken three to five months to hire for a position. And they said, that is so unrealistic in our world. You cannot take right. three because we got stuff to do. We're busy. We can't wait three. To, but think about this. Taking three to five months to get the right person. What cost you more time doing that or making the wrong hire and then getting into calving season or breeding right. season or what other season that is so busy and figuring out, uh-oh, this is a mistake. And how much not only time down is that going to cost you, but how much money potentially could that cost you too? So, um, and how not, much time does it pull you into that job that you just hired somebody to do and pulling you away from the things you're supposed to be doing, but now you're having to double up because that person can't get it done. Absolutely. Good points. So let's say we find the right person. We go through the interview process. We've got a good hiring process in place. We find somebody that values our culture. Once we've got them in place, Chris, some things that I've heard you teach about, and I don't want to sound like I'm an expert on them. I, I want to learn from you too on this, but in your own podcast, in your own teaching, you talk about KRAs and KPIs in your company, and those initials are foreign to most of us. So would you quickly just break down what those are and what you use them for and why they're important? Absolutely. So like I said, um, the, the two top issues we see in every business, doesn't matter, even family businesses, and those that are listening know that communication inside of a family business can suck at times, right? It's really bad, even though it's family. The two top things are lack of high levels of quality communication and lack of quality accountability. So the number one thing we go after is how do we make sure we communicate really super well and by doing so, it's setting up the person we're communicating to, not trying to make them communicate to us the way we want it. It's how do we set each other up for success? When it comes to accountability, one of the biggest mistakes we make is that we don't hold people accountable to what we expect them to do. So let's say we hire somebody. A, a, a normal thing is, is we put a job description together. We put it out there. We have some people look at the job description, say, I can do that job description. We interview three people. The person that smiles the most is probably the first hire. The person that we like, we drop them in the seat. Then we go month after month after month of them not getting to what we expect. They're not getting the thing that we expect done. We're not seeing those results. And so we keep coming back to that person going, you're failing. And they go, no, I'm not. I'm doing exactly what you told me to do. And we're going, yeah, but you're not getting to the result that we want. Well, but this is what you told me to do here. Mm -hmm. So what we have discovered is if somebody doesn't know what the result is supposed to be, what is this supposed to look like when I do this? 
then holding them accountable is only holding them accountable to the task. And when somebody can do the tasks and not get the result done, we call that the accountability gap because they're doing the things you've asked, but they don't know what winning looks like. They don't know what success looks like. What is it, what is it ultimately supposed to turn into, right? So for us, we do what's called KRAs, key result areas. These are the top results we're looking for this specific role we're hiring. Now, as I say this, this is one of the toughest things for leaders to get to because they will write down these key result areas over and over and over again, only to, you know, for us to look at them and go, that's not a result, that's a task. It doesn't mean that you can't have tasks be a part of it. You've got to ask yourself the question, what is the result that I'm looking for? So, for example, I was just on a, a show where a guy was asking me about, well, what about a graphic artist? Well, for me, one of the great results that I must have from if I hired a graphic artist today is that their quality must be in line with our brand's graphic quality. So if they come in and they're creating graphics and it does not come up to the quality that we expect, they're failing. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Here's the result. But that's not how people usually give the role. They give the role, we need you to create 20 graphics a week. And so they give a task. And so when they're creating 20 graphics a week and they don't like the graphics that they're putting out, they attack them with, you're not doing what we want. And they're going, yes, I did my 20 graphics. That's why the result is the important thing. The graphics must meet the brand's quality. Um, another key result could be you have to make sure that you're working with each leader over each product service to uh, create the, uh, I don't know, the, the promotional pieces in their areas equally so that one brand isn't getting pushed more than another, whatever it is, right? We're looking for those results. So does all that make sense on the results part? Yeah, for sure. Okay. KPIs. Now there's key performance indexes. We say key performance indicators. Now this is just for us. We're saying the measurables. So it's saying every, every way we can possibly measure and hold you accountable to the measurement. So it's super easy to look at a salesperson or a marketing person and say, this is what we expect. We expect that you sell this dollar amount every month. We expect that you make this many phone calls. We expect that you reach out to this many clients through email. Those are all easy measurable things, right? But what happens when it's somebody who's administrative, right? What happens when it's somebody who, how do you put a key performance indicator on your receptionist? Well, I'll tell you back in the days when we had a receptionist, uh, we would say that they would need to answer the phone in two rings. Mm -hmm. That if it gets to three rings, we're losing customers, right? Uh, so there's certain things you can put in place to say, you know, like that, that key performance indicator on the graphic artist that you must um, be able to, like a key performance indicator is how many times you're able to communicate back to the person who's leading you the exact thing that they're asking you to do that you don't have to go back and, and redo it 17 times, right? Yeah. We're looking for that measurable. 
And Chris, it sounds like this helps put the team member and the leader on the same page because how many times maybe have, have we um, as workers, as employees been in a situation where we came to work and we did these five things that we felt like needed done and were really important. And um, our leader, our boss wanted us to do five things other than what we had done. And while we were feeling really good about our morning, our, our boss, our leader was not feeling so good about us. And so you've used the communication word a thousand times already in this episode, but this gives, I think, even better communication between team members and leaders and get us, helps get us all on the same page as to what exactly it is that we're all supposed to be doing. So we're all pulling the same direction and everybody's satisfied as a team member. I'm satisfied with the work that I'm doing um, as well as a leader satisfied that we're getting the right things done. Is that right? Yeah, it, it helps us both to see what success looks like. Mm. So the leader says, this is, if you get to these results and you get to these, you know, these measurables, you're successful as far as I'm concerned. It helps the team member go, that's what I'm shooting for. So instead of it being a list of tasks, well, I did your tasks, why are you mad at me? I don't understand. I thought I was being successful. Yeah. And then the other piece is the prioritization piece, like you just mentioned. I highly suggest with each leader, um, if a team member is not accomplishing the things that they want done, that they close out the day the day before. They close out their day at the end of each day and prioritize the next day. Mm. If you have expectations and you want your team member to be successful, take five minutes and go, let me see what your, what your day looks like tomorrow. Give them 15 minutes, even 30 minutes, depending upon how many tasks they do, to organize their t- for tomorrow. Don't wait until tomorrow. Do it today while you're, it's still on top of mind. And then take a quick look. And if you want something changed, adjust it. But make sure that they see the priorities. I could make things hugely efficient too, more efficient, especially in, a, in an agriculture ranching operation. That's good advice. Mm-hmm. Chris, so let's, that's an example that you've just spoken about. That's a good example of what it all looks like when things are done well and it goes right with the right people. It's not always going to be the case. We, we will inevitably make a bad hire. Uh, something will go wrong. So quickly, can you walk us through your process that you use to let someone go? When you do have to fire an employee or a team member, um, what does that look like and how do you guys handle that? Yeah, so again, the, this is for me, I'm a believer. Um, I believe it is my responsibility to do everything I possibly can to make the team member successful uh, before I let them go, because I believe I have to answer to God. So what our process is, is we put the accountability pieces in place. We put the measurables in place so that we can hold the person accountable. So let's say I put in this great KRA and the person's not getting to the results. I'm always going to assume it's my fault first. I always teach leaders, assume it's your fault first. Maybe you didn't give a great KRA. Maybe you're not teaching them well enough. Maybe they don't have all the resources that they need. Whatever it is, assume you're the problem, right? Now, that's not what many of us were taught. Many of us were taught where, you know, if you're not doing it right, it's your fault. No no ifs, ands, or buts about it, right? But assume that you're the problem as the leader. So I will go through and find every possible reason, excuse, whatever it is that a person has that they're not getting to the result. 
Is the result understandable? Yes. Why are you not getting there? I don't have this tool. I don't have this software. I don't have the time, the capacity. I don't have whatever. And I will go through and resolve every possible problem I can until they have no more reasons why they can't get to that result. What's left then is that person, right? Because I've solved everything on my end that I possibly could. If they, they didn't have the right tool, I got on the right tool. If they had too many things, like I delegated some things off or I shifted some things around or reprioritized or, 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 or. And then what's left is that person. At that point, what I do is I put on what we call a work program. Hey, you've got this amount of time to solve this problem. We've given you everything you need. We've done everything you've asked for. You have this amount of time to solve this. If you do not get the, to this place by here, then we're gonna give you some heavy duty consequences. It's gonna be a write-up. It's gonna be a formal write-up in your, your, your um, hiring folder. It's gonna be you know what, whatever the thing is. What you need for that person to see is the clear path to them getting better or them being fired. Never, ever, ever fire somebody and they're surprised about it, right? Mm -hmm. Now, Listen, if you come in and you do something immoral, if you come and steal from me, you're gone. You're not going to be surprised about that. Yeah. You're gone right away. I, I'm, I'm not going to deal with that, right? Doesn't mean that I can't work with you on certain other things that are, you're, you're struggling with, but there's certain things you're just out the door, right? This type of thing where they're not doing the job well should never be a surprise to them that they're getting fired. I have actually not had to fire anybody in decades. Wow. And here's the reason why. Because we so push this accountability process and the excellence process and we set people up for success that when they know they're not going to make it and it's their choice, they will actually leave. <laughs> they they see it coming. They know it's coming and the last thing they want is to, you know, lose space by staying there until I fire them. So they found a new job overnight or you know, they decided that they wanted to do something else in life and they'll actually leave. Even, this is crazy, I've had, unfortunately, over the last couple of decades, I've had some, you know, some, some moral failures um, on my team. And when, even when somebody knows that I'm probably pretty close to figuring it out, they'll leave. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting thing. And the reason why is, is because I've set everything up with such great height. Now, that's not saying that I won't help somebody get restored back to a place of not doing that stuff. That's not, that's not what that's saying. What I'm saying is, is that we've put things in place so well to solve that if they choose on their own not to get things solved and get to a place of doing the thing that they're supposed to be doing, that they recognize it's them and they choose to leave. Does all that make sense? It does. And what I'm hearing, Chris, is that even in the, the exit process, the firing process, people are treated with the same dignity as they receive when they're an employee or when they're being hired. And exactly. so I like the consistency of that all the way through the process. Exactly. And if you put enough work process in and you give them enough time to fix then they're either going to fix it and you will find them become a 10 times better team member or they're going to they're going to fail pretty rapidly and they'll probably leave on their own
Chris, the next, next big item I wanted to talk to you about on the uh, podcast is probably the one I'm looking forward to the most. And already you have used, like I said, communication just a ton. That's come up over and over and over in our conversation. But one way that I learned through you that we can do a better job at communicating uh, with friends, with family, with teammates, coworkers, leaders, whoever, and we also learn a lot about ourselves in the process is something called personality styles. Now, it was a new concept for me when I learned it. I'm thinking many of the people listening today, this will be a new concept for them too. So, Chris, can you first start by telling us what is a personality style? Tell us about some of these personality tests and just open that up a little bit for us. Uh, So, personality style, what we say is, is how you act, react, how you give information, how you receive information right? That's my personality. So there's all kinds of different profiles out there. Myers-Briggs has been out there for a long time. Uh, We use DISC, D-I-S-C. Enneagram is out there. It's fabulous and fantastic. But we use DISC for a reason. And that is because we're teaching people to communicate personality styles in groups and large quantities of people, right? So if you have one or two of us talking through, uh, you know, Myers-Briggs has 16 different aspects to it. Enneagram has, I think, nine with what they call wings to it. Fabulous, fabulous uh, programs. So don't hear me wrong though. Those are great programs. For us, we want to be able to communicate easily. And so we use DISC because it has four, four specific areas, D, I, S, and C. D is that dominant driving personality style. There's about 10% of those in the world where that's their highest. I is that influencing personality style, that um, uh, center of attention, leading people to uh, by, by, uh, uh, by influencing them through excitement and energy. S, there's 25% that are high I's. Uh, S's are the stable, amiable loyal person, the person in the background can't stand conflict, wants to support really well. 40% of the population are the high S's. Agricultural, you will find a lot of high S's. Um, High C is the compliant, detailed person, really can't stand conflict, can't stand change, um, sometimes has no need for people. You'll find a lot of high C's in agricultural as well because they love the detail side of doing the same over and over and over and over again, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. you see all different personality styles, 10%, 25%, 40%, 25% made up in the population. All of us have some percentage of D, I, S, and C. It just depends on which pieces are really high, right? So for me, I'm a high S, I, uh, D, and C. That's, that's, how my profile goes and s is my highest i is my next highest i think i'm a 60d or 50d and then a 40c i think so when we look at the personality style we're looking at how does a person act and react to situations their personality style will guide how they respond to stuff so for me my number one thing is I am somebody who loves to help and support people and do what I can to make them great. I also love to teach people. Um, I love to guide and direct people. So that's always going to be my, my natural tendency is to 
serve people, help people, right? Um, I am not a hot, super high detail person at all. Uh, I like details when I need them, but I'm never going to be that person. You know, I, I, I could never be an accountant. Mm-hmm. I couldn't sit and do account eight hours a day, five days a week. It's just, it's not my personality style. Praise God, there are people who love doing that, right? So when we're communicating, understanding personality styles is monstrous to winning. If I understand that high C who loves details, who needs a 30,000 foot view picture so they can understand a five foot problem. If I can understand that, then I can feed into their personality style with communication that sets them up for success. It doesn't mean I become a high C. It means that I look at that person and I go, aha, here's how you need to be communicated to, right? So, Every one of us that's ever worked agriculture, we've, we've been working with somebody who's trying to teach either us somebody or we're trying to teach somebody and we get that deer in the headlights look. And it's just like, how do you not get this, right? It's the same thing in office settings. How do you not get the thing that I'm teaching you? Well, we immediately believe it's the other person's fault. Well, man, I thought you were smart. Apparently you're not. That, that is, that is, has nothing to, it highly likely has nothing to do with their level of intelligence. It most likely has to do with the way that we are communicating and we are not communicating in a way that they receive it correctly. So for example, uh, if I'm communicating to a high D, a high dominant, this is a person who likes things in sound bites. They don't want the in triplicate scroll that the high C wants, right? They need it in sound bites. You can watch a high D get crazy frustrated when you start feeding them too much information on one topic yeah. because they can't process it all. Yeah. And they feel like they have to process every single thing that you're giving to them and they can't, they don't know what to do and they, they just get really super frustrated, right? If I recognize that they need it in sound bites and I can go, hey, here's this, questions? Nope, I'm good. Okay, here's this. Questions? Well, what does that mean? This, this, and this. Got it. Here's this. Got that too. That's good to go. And I give them the opportunity to ask questions and dig in. Um, but I also make sure that I come back and, and I know that the high D is not going to get great details. So I'll come back later and make sure that they actually got all the things that they need. But if I overwhelm them with detail, then I'll lose them on the thing that I'm trying to teach them. Does that make sense? Yeah, it really does. And I, you know, I think a lot of people might be hearing this from the culture side of things. We're talking about, you know, using a lot of this stuff within our own business. But I got to tell you, for me, learning about personality styles, Chris, that was a real aha moment. And it's been such a life hack for me um, dealing with people in my job, which is a lot of times talking to customers and, and selling and marketing cattle. Because once I understand personality styles, it so helped me do a better job talking to those customers. When you, when you get your arms around this stuff, you begin to quickly really recognize personality styles by the things people say when you interact with them on the phone or in person, and you can do such a better job of communicating with them. And when you have better communication, I've found that you've got a lot better chance of doing some business with somebody. And so really to put it at an applicable level for me and my job and what I do every day, it's also been a huge help for that. 
And if you haven't done one of these things, they are kind of fun. They're kind of crazy to do. They don't cost much money. Chris, you can probably give them details on where to find it, but get on there and do it. And every time I've done one, my wife have done one, she's done one with some employees in, in her company, but you almost sit there and read it and just shake your head and laugh because it sometimes describes you better than you could describe yourself. That's been my experience. Oh, it is so funny because I'll have somebody go, well, I didn't agree with everything on there. And I'll go, did you show it to your spouse? Yeah. What did they say? (laughs) They said it's a hundred percent correct. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) So, but yeah, it is, it is something that it reads your mail in 25 questions. Totally. And helps you to see, here's the purpose. It's the goal isn't to say, oh, here's your weaknesses and here's some things that suck. Because it's about strengths. It talks about weaknesses. It talks about the environments you work best in, the environments you don't work best in. It's all, all kinds of information. The goal is to learn so you can make the right choices in the right moments. So Chris, if somebody wants to, to, to dive into those, where would they go and take the DISC uh, test, for example? If you go to chrislacurto.com, and click on the store. We've got the disc personality profiles in there. We've got the disc plus, which also includes the motivators or what we would call the values, which helps you to see what motivates a person. Um, this is, it's, this is even tougher, but so powerful to understand when you're looking at a role. So uh, we picked up some goats uh, a couple hours away from here from a mom and daughter. Daughter is 18 years old and she's getting done with school. And we're talking about, man, you know, we're looking for somebody to come work our place, you know, take care of some of our livestock, add some livestock, all this kind of stuff. And as we talked through our goal for our place, she was lighting up. And we could see one of the things that motivated her was being able to go to a place where she would have authority, right? She was most likely uh, what we would call a high political, don't think politics, think of somebody who wants to take responsibility and wants to lead things to success. We could see her start lighting up and she's like, oh my gosh, I would love to do that. You know, I'm almost done with school and I'm going to be looking for a place and So as we're talking through it, she also was listening to our vision of how our goal is to take our corporate business because we do so many life events and, uh, you know, uh, business events and put people in this farm environment where they get to go experience life change and then go experience the farm as well and and incorporate all this kind of stuff. Well, she's lighting up with that as well. So you could tell that there are certain aspects of the things that motivate her that she wants to come and be a part of it. Now, will we hear from her? I don't know. Uh, you know, she, she's got to finish up her school, but if, if we do, that's fantastic. The point that I'm making here is when you understand what motivates a person, when you can see the things that motivates a person, it helps you to align them with the specific role that you're hiring. So, You've got uh, two girls? Two girls. Okay. Are they different? Oh, totally. Uh, as, we <laughs> say in, as we say in the cattle business, they're full sibs, but they don't act like it. They don't even look like it. <laughs> there you go. So <laughs> one child is like, what, are, what motivates one that doesn't motivate another? So one would be very social, very outgoing, always wants to be in the middle of whatever conversation is going on with the friends. 
The other Chris would be, while a, a friendly and I would say outgoing child, she could care less if she's in the middle of whatever's going on. She's just as happy to, to be doing her own thing by herself and just almost so, at opposite ends of the spectrum. So just taking those, those two girls, where would you place them in agriculture? So, Chris, I think the one that's that I always think likes to be in the middle of everything, I could see her being more of the face and the voice of something, um, someone that would deal well with public, while the other one, I think, is the worker. She's the one that likes to be getting her hands dirty. She's the one that likes to be involved with the production and more of the tasks of things. Exactly. The one who would be the face needs things that changes from time to time, right? She's, mm -hmm. proud, she's somebody who needs to be among people. If you put her out there to go and do the same task all day long or, or the same 10 tasks every day, day in, day out, eventually she's going to go, I, I got to get out of here, right? But if mm -hmm. she's able mm -hmm. to interact with people, if she's the face of the business, if she's in sales, then she's going to get the, she's going to be so motivated by working with people to success that she's going to love that role. While the other one, if you said, hey, I need you to go do these 20 tasks every day, they're consistent, they're, you know, nothing is going to change much, go do these things, she's going to be like, I'm on it. That's exactly where I want to be. Swap the roles, both of them will be most likely, most likely, and again, this is, this is making a very quick assessment, but most likely both of them would be demotivated in the other person's role. Yeah, and that's such a quick, great example, though, of, of the value that I think you get out of these personality styles in the DISC program is because it helps identify that. It gives it some verbiage and some language because if you're not familiar with all this, and, and I was in that camp, I'm not claiming to be an expert now by any means, but just having a way to describe that and, and reading it on paper, it's such a light bulb moment. And if you have any, any desire to be better at communication or just know yourself or your people better, well, I would definitely do that. And I think you said chrislacurto.com. You can find that disc uh, assessment there in your store. So I would encourage people to go do that, Chris. Absolutely. And if I could just give one last example on this. Yeah. Many times people who are not, and I'm going to go back to the C's again, because again, in agriculture, we find a lot of folks that like to do the consistency stuff, right? Sometimes if we're not that high C and we need somebody come to come and do something consistently over and over and over again, we look for the person who's super friendly because we're super friendly. Mm -hmm. we're, we're a people person. And so we look for that people person. Guess what? The people person, that's the daughter who doesn't want to do that right? Mm -hmm. If we recognize we want the other daughter in this role, yeah. because what happens is, is when that person shows up, they're usually somewhat self-active, they're, they're nervous, they're not speaking a lot. And so we go, man, I didn't like that person at all. And come to find out they're exactly who we needed yeah. for that role. We just needed to learn how to speak to them and draw them out and find out that that's what it is about. So for us, we don't hire a single person without them doing a disc first. We'll do the okay. disc plus on each person so that we can see ahead of time what to expect. And then we know, yep, you're shut down, you're reserved. Let me ask different questions to find out how you'll do in this role. And then that helps me to see, yep, you're exactly who we need to drop in that place. Yeah, I'm glad you made that addition because that's, that's another great place to use it there. And 
and we could all be guilty of that. You know, we hire our, uh, our strengths instead of our weaknesses. And that's not always what we You're need. Right. Yes. Chris, you've covered a lot. You've covered culture. You've covered hiring and unfortunately sometimes firing and communication and specifically learning to be better through the use of uh, personality tests, understanding personal personality styles. So, if uh, we absorb all this and we've taken notes or, or we've just drank it down like water and, and we're ready to go, I assume, Chris, on Monday, we can go into our place of work, to our people, we can sit down and we can just say, this is the way it is. You can spell out everything that we've learned and bam, it's going to happen. We can just proclaim it, announce it, and we should be good to go, right? If you just pour a little water on it, it grows like crazy. <laughs> I'm being facetious, it, of course. Explain the right way to implement it, Chris. It is something that you have to recognize. You've just learned, and your team needs to come to an understanding of it as well. And, you know, we are really kind of given a fire hose right now of information. So it's stuff that you're going to have to process for a little bit, right? And until you start to actually practice it. Now, this is one of the biggest keys that we teach around here. You have to be intentional, you have to be proactive, but once you are intentional and proactive, you have the information, you have to practice the information. The person who thinks they're gonna get it right and put it in place and that's it, they're done, they're gonna be so disappointed, right? It's the same thing, at, look at agriculture. Everything in agriculture is about growing something. It's about working a process that's going to make something great at the end. And once we get to that great place, fantastic. That's what we've been looking for the whole time, right? Same kind of concept here. You have to grow. You have to practice this process until people are doing it really, really well. But you have to set them up for success. You have to teach them. You have to show them why it's important. You have to have them give input tax the collective intelligence ask them hey guys what sucks about our culture you if culture is actions and attitudes take a look at our business i want you to be as open with me as you can what sucks right now and what's great right now how do we fix these things what are your suggestions on fixing these things it doesn't mean we're going to do everything you suggest but i'd love to hear from you and so you start working it in piece by piece by piece by piece plan on it taking time right you spent many years getting to where you are by doing things the way you've been doing them. To think that you're going to flip it overnight and everything's going to be great is, is just silly. It's, it's virtually impossible, right? So practice it like crazy. Be intentional. Be proactive. And forgive yourself if you do make a mistake along the way because that's probably going to happen too. Every single time. Yeah. If you are not making mistakes, you're not growing. Yeah. Be okay with making mistakes. Chris, this has been fun. You've taught us a lot. And we're going to get you in on a part of the podcast now that we always conclude with. And it's called Stock Shows and Burritos. And so to explain that to you, yes. the audience that you're speaking to right now travels a ton. A lot of them are traveling right now. They're holding a pickup steering wheel and, and they're going to look at cattle, to haul cattle, to, to do something. They're going to a show. So we travel a lot on this podcast. We get around the country and Nashville is certainly going to be a place 
that we're going to get through sometimes. So this is your backyard, man. Nashville is a happening place. There's all kinds of cool things to do there. And so the Cattle Pros audience wants to know, Chris, when it's time for you to unwind, when you want to relax and hang out a little bit, you're probably a little bit like us. And I know a little bit, folks, more than, than what I'm letting on. Chris is a foodie just like the rest of us, okay? He's a great chef in addition to all this business stuff, and he, and he loves a good meal of food. So when you're going to take a night off from cooking yourself in the kitchen and you're going to go out for a night on the town in Nashville, let's say, give us a recommendation on where you're going to go. Where should the Cattle Pros audience go the next time they're in Nashville? Goodness gracious. Okay. So a, a new favorite of mine is – is probably 45 minutes south of Nashville. It's where, I, it's where our property is in a place called, uh, area called Leaper's Fork. And there is a restaurant there called 1892. And man, they kill it. And that is a place that we love to go to. If I was in Nashville, um, I don't get up there a lot because I love being on our property. Uh, but where would I go? Goodness gracious. There's so many fabulous places up there now. Well, let me back up just a little bit. Tell us about this 1892 restaurant, because you kind of piqued my interest with that. You said that's at Leaper's Fork, south of Nashville? Yeah, so off of 840, we're out, we're out obviously out in the country. Um, we, there's this great little place in an old house, this little town called Leaper's Fork. Uh, our property is, is about 10 minutes from there. And... This chef, I mean, he is constantly changing up. He's doing, but he would be, so I, I'm a big foodie. I'm also, uh, I really enjoy wine, uh, the growing process, everything about it. You know, it, it's right. a big part of what we use it to teach a lot of stuff here. Um, and he could, his restaurant, I believe, could be in the Napa area right now. Uh, he just does mm. a great job. Um, always bring in something new, something exciting. Um, so if, if you're into trying things, uh, he does a great job. He did this fantastic mushroom toast where he, he pulled in about four, different five, four or five different mushrooms, did an amazing sauce with it, and it, put it on a toast. It was just like, I would have never pulled those mushrooms together. It was just great. It was fabulous. Uh, and then what did he do? He did a great lamb ragu. I'm a big lamb fan. Um, lamb and bison. Uh, I love cattle, uh, but I do a lot of lamb. Uh, it's just a, uh, I don't just, for some reason, I love it a lot. Uh, he did this great lamb ragu and, uh, it was fabulous. So I enjoy it. I enjoy it. They do some great drinks. Uh, they have a great old fashioned. That's a, a twist on an old fashioned. Uh, that's a great drink. So. I've only been there uh, twice. Uh, I think I'm going again Saturday night, but uh, it's really good. Well, the guy knows his food, folks. I can tell you that. And on a slightly more serious note, Chris, actually, he, he talked about um, a program that I was lucky enough to get to attend with him called Life Plan. And, and during that, he uses food as an analogy uh, in a lot of his teaching and coaching. And if you have a chance to check out Chris's podcast, which is called The Chris Licurto Show, I would go back and find the episode where he talks about um, root systems. And he uses, like he mentioned, wine and grapes and the growing process and connects some 
pretty interesting dots there and gives you some examples of kind of how we make decisions in our own lives. And I won't spoil it for you, but it's really, really good information. And it's definitely worth a look, worth a listen. And he has some pretty unique and cool ways that are pretty eye-opening for, it was for me, I think it would be for you too. So look up that stuff along with his other con- content there on his podcast. It's really good stuff, Chris. Hmm. Brother, it is, it's fun to be able to do this show. I hope this has been helpful and, and good information. But I really enjoyed this. These have been great questions. It's great. And you've brought a lot of new information to our audience that I think um, uh, a lot of us can benefit from. We can take it, we can implement it, hopefully, or begin to and see some changes and see some growth. And again, the whole purpose of this episode, folks, is to start thinking about making agriculture and making our own businesses, our own operations a little more attractive to potential employees, because let's face it, it is hard to find help right now. And I think uh, we need to put everything on the table. We need to look at everything and every option on what we can do to get the right people in here, because the world needs us. We feed the world. It's an important job that we do, and we need the right people in here to do it. And Chris, you've helped us today find those right people, and we're very, very thankful. So thank you so much for being on Cattle Pros. Tell us one more time how people can find out more about you and what you're doing. And before you do that, folks, I'm going to tell you, he does a lot more than just this business stuff. So I do want you to check him out. There's a lot of information he shares with people. Uh, the easiest, well, we've got a, uh, a free gift for you guys. Um, oh. We have got an ebook that is called Why Your Meetings Suck. Okay. <laughs> so I... <laughs> It, I, I named it something that I wanted people to go, huh, yeah, our meetings do suck. The reasons why and here's what to do about it. So we actually have that uh, for all the listeners. So if you go to chrislacurdo.com slash cattle pros, you can download that ebook. And that is a, just a, a great piece to help you be successful in setting up your meetings going forward. Well, okay, go to chrislacurdo.com and tell us that link again slash cattle pros slash cattle pros okay definitely go look that up that's great and thank you for sharing that with us chris we really appreciate it thank you again so much for being on the show today absolutely brother i can't wait to ask you some of my cattle questions excellent we look forward to it